All right, kicking off in three, two. No, that's not right. And the home of the brave. Welcome to episode 23 of the Hit the Deck podcast, where we talk deck hockey, street hockey, ball hockey, it's hockey in sneakers. Ooh, doctor. I don't have anything clever to say about the 23rd episode. I just, I'm kind of, I'm, you know, faffing about because I'm trying to generate content where no content exists. How are you, James? I'm doing very well. What was wrong with ooh, doctor? That was terrific. Nicely done. I don't know. It just it seems so random. I don't know. Why am I saying, oh, doctor, 23. What's so great about the 23rd episode? There's nothing. There's no numerical significance there whatsoever. I'm just really, I'm, I'm creating artificial excitement, and I feel like that's dishonest. So, listener, I apologize. Okay. Um, on behalf of the listeners, I think you get a free pass, but that we appreciate that nonetheless. <laughs> How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. How about yourself? I'm okay. Thank you. Busy, yeah, are you done busy rebuilding Queens out there between <laughs> uh, outdoor? Yeah. And- uh, yes, I, I uh, as I was just saying to James off air, we just this past weekend, myself and my family put up uh, a swing set for my daughter Julia, which she doesn't know about yet. So uh, she's going to be pleasantly surprised when she sees it. And the last couple of nights puts together her big girl bed for my five-year-old. So uh, it's been a constructive week. <laughs> that that's uh, okay. You are on a roll, boy. <laughs> yeah. Nicely, I'm just gonna stay out of your way, actually. So that's keep okay. it up. I'm a little punchy, so that's you know. Anyway, how how are you? How's your week? Uh, pretty good, thanks. Pretty good. Just just trying to keep up with you. So uh, yes. charging Rhino is very difficult to to hang with. So splendid. Yeah. Oh, what do you say we jump into it? Sounds like a plan, man. All right. So for tonight's starting lineup in goal, as ever, I am the American Rhino, number thirty-five, Gary McComiskey, and of course my illustrious co-host on defense, number four, I'm James Sajazi. Fantastic. So James, if you would not mind. Would you please tell us what's on deck for tonight's podcast? Would be happy to. Leading off, we say tomato, they say tomato. A Wall Street Journal article pitted Canada versus the U.S. in a battle that just may never end. Who is that masked man? The American Rhino will take us through how he transformed a good, solid goalie mask into a crown worthy of a king rhino. And happy birthday to my brother Anthony. We are recording this very podcast on my brother's birthday, but as Gary has pointed out many a time, no one will hear our podcast until Gary uploads it. So, happy belated birthday, bro, and that's what's on deck. Thank you, James, and happy birthday, bro. We'll we'll go back uh, a little later and shower you in, in salutations and what have you. 
appreciate that. Thank you, sir. Yeah, and uh, sure. we do appreciate it after every episode that you do thank my brother for uh, some music provided for our great podcast. So that's much appreciated as well. Well, the music itself is appreciated, but you're jumping ahead, James. You're just you got to you got to build to these things, right? It's a it's a process. You know, you you wet the listener's appetite, leave them wanting more. You know, you don't want to give them too much of that sweet, sweet happy birthday action right up front. They got got to give them a reason to stick around. I failed again. No, it's fine. In, in, into the penalty box with me. Oh, so what were we talking about? Tomatoes? I love tomatoes. Yeah, tomatoes. <laughs> More specifically, this is a fun debate, I think, anyway. I'm sure people may take it a little bit too seriously, but for our purposes, there was an article written in late May's Wall Street Journal by Vipal Monga, and I probably mispronounced that name, so my apologies. But You can the- say that again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, mm. The article is the title of the article. (laughs) I'm sorry. Excuse me. All right. The, uh, the, The title of the article is the great NHL debate. Is it a sweater or a jersey? So obviously, if you're a hockey fan out there, I'm sure you have a hardened opinion on whether the top that the players wear and us fans can buy and, and wear as well. If you're going to call it a sweater, you're probably from Canada. And if you refer to it as a jersey, you're probably like Gary and I from the States. So it just depends on – it's the same article of clothing, but it just depends on what side of the border you're on. And traditionally, it's traditionalists that stick with referring to the mm. item – as a sweater and for us newfangled folk who are a little late to the party i guess like us u.s folks uh we (laughs) refer to it as a jersey so this article just goes into that a little bit uh, in depth and gary what is your opinion on this matter well you know what before we we give our own opinions james why don't we draw the battle lines for the listener In this article, a couple of our beloved New York Rangers laid down their own opinions on what exactly constitutes the article of clothing that the skaters and goalies and players generally wear on their upper bodies. And so Canadian captain, um, Kleenex enthusiast, Mark Messier, he is a devout Canadian well, actually, I don't know how devout how can you be a devout Canadian? I mean, it's not a, really a religion so much it is a nationality, and he was born into it. Well, uh, you do get this. You do get the save here before. Uh, sorry to interject. No, is that carry on. Canadians do feel that hockey is like a religion, so there I you go. I suppose that's true. Yeah, so so devout Canadian slash hockey player Mark Messier is a staunch supporter of the sweater camp. He believes that the 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 thing that he wore that number 11 so proudly for so many years is like to a cardigan it is a sweater however the man that played behind him for all those years in new york mr mike richter who as we recently discussed is um american hockey hall of famer and you know red white and blue patriot he's a jersey man He's a, a, a Jersey boy, dare I say. <laughs> I'll show myself out. 
no, please, I can't do this on my own. Come back. So, all right, fine. Once again, <laughs> since you asked, once again, I'm going to have to go with my boy Mike Richter on this one. I am a Jersey, uh, I'm a fan of the Jersey. I'm a Jersey proponent. Maybe it's because I'm an American and everything that in, in our kind of culture, everything that athletes wear on their upper body is almost invariably referred to as a jersey, unless it's like a race car driver, in which case he probably wears some or she wears some kind of flame retardant suit. I don't, I don't know what you would really refer to that as, but uh, definitely not a jersey. Uh, and I guess golf players wear like polos and um, you know golf shirts, so they don't technically wear jerseys either. Why not technically? They don't wear the all. The, if you wear the if you win the Masters, you get the green jacket, right? So uh, yeah, right. That's right. And I think if a tennis player tried to wear a jersey, it would probably mess with their racket hand because they tend to be kind of loose and and floppy. So the the kind of overhand and motion and backhand that i've gone completely off track what was i talking about i was enjoying your uh, following you down that crazy path but uh yeah we were talking about something about people from new jersey <laughs> yeah yeah okay <laughs> i'm not a devil's fan that that's just i'm sorry i have to go on record and and, and say i'm not a fan of the devils i assume that's what we were talking about because i <laughs> i can't recall maybe the canadians have a point there that uh, we should follow in that aspect that if we Americans refer to the the article of clothing as a jersey, yes, that does get quite confusing when referring to a piece of clothing versus the state in the United States. So got to gotta give a, maybe a point to the, the Canadians in that one. But yeah, to, to follow your lead, I can't go against Richter, especially because you – your lovely wife and my dear sister-in-law all love Mike Richter, as do I. But uh, let's just say that you guys wouldn't appreciate it if I disagreed with Mr. Richter, <laughs> and it's guaranteed that you wouldn't be putting that jersey or sweater on my back. Let's just say that and not where you would be putting it. So, um, <laughs> I yeah. get it. Yeah, right. Uh, I, too, am an American, and I to love Mike Richter, and I'm not going to anger an American rhino, so out of fear, <laughs> and the fact that I was born in this country, I'm sticking with Jersey. Sorry, Canada, it's your sport. We definitely acknowledge that, and we appreciate it. We have said that on Hit the Decks in the past, that we love Canada for sharing the beautiful sport of hockey with the world, but... It is a jersey. As a matter of fact, in this article, there's a gentleman by the name of Chris Derlome. I'm probably getting that name wrong, too. But he wrote a book called The History of the NHL Hockey Jersey, 1983 to 1993. And he says that the jersey more accurately describes the shirts because they are made of 100% double-knit polyester and other materials as opposed to the old sweaters, which really were sweaters in the term of hockey players wore. Well, and, sure. Uh, I mean, they were... they, I'm sorry. They, they play on ice. So, right. you know, way back when, before the kind of equipment that they wore evolved, I imagine it was very cold playing on the ice, and the weather required to play on said ice uh, to keep the ice frozen would mean that they'd have to be 
pretty cold, so a sweater would keep them warm while they were skating. The evolution of the term makes perfect sense. It's just, I think it, I agree with you. I think it's evolved past the point. And uh, look, all kidding aside, I respect the mythology and, and the tradition of hockey and the people who call it a sweater. I respect the fact that that's something kind of uniquely hockey and that it's a very traditional mindset. And again, all kidding aside, I have no problem with people who call it a, a sweater because I get it. But I'm always going to call it a jersey just because... I look in my closet and the sweaters are the things that I have stuffed up on the top shelf for when the weather gets cold in the winter. And the jerseys are the things that I have hung on hangers in a row, uh, depending on what sporting event I will be attending that day. Yes, exactly. And, and, and as you were saying, too, right, they needed to stay warm back when. And those materials were actually made of heavy woolen knits and were literally sweaters. And that carried on into the NHL and, and other professional hockey leagues. And right, then when it evolved into the jerseys that they use today, as a matter of fact, they, after the, uh, what, lockout three, the latest one. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I think that was direct to video, wasn't it? Lockout three. Yeah, uh, Mr. Gary Bettman, but, uh, well, the, the players union as well. But mm-hmm. anyhow, when they came back from the latest uh, debacle, the NHL kind of reinvented itself a little bit. And one of the things that they focused on was the jersey itself. And uh, I believe at the time, and I still think they are still making it until next year or two, uh, Reebok is the current manufacturer of the official NHL jerseys. They still they had the edge? Yes. They had to, along with the league, redesign the sweaters or jerseys to Let's not say. be as bulky as they were. And uh, they even came up with great wicking ability, as Gary and I have spoken about in many uh, Hit the Deck in the past, about the new material that helps you perform better and keep you comfortable while playing, is they incorporated that material into the jersey or sweater that the NHLers wear today. So, right, they they had to make the uniforms more streamlined. Also, for goalies, uh, there have been some goalies in Philadelphia on the Flyers, let's just say, that uh, would wear their jerseys a little bit too large, Mm. where they would actually use them as another aspect to stop the puck from going in because they were so baggy that they actually, yeah, they they would dishonest. Who would do such a thing? Only people from the Flyers, I guess, but I'm sure other goalies probably try that too, but the Flyers were dumb enough to get caught and and Uh. be that brazen to just openly admit it i'm sure there's plenty of goalies who try and use their equipment to their advantage and and maybe use larger equipment than is strictly condoned under the auspices of the rules so uh you're right philly got caught but i i can't sit here and and pretend righteous indignation because it is sadly something that those of my tribe tend to do well present company excluded because the American Rhino, I know for a fact, would never even think about doing something so despicable or or ever go against the book or, or do anything illegal. So just absolutely not. I can't afford just, that kind. Of- well, all right. But anyway, <laughs> you're, you're a good. You're a good man on top of everything. else. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's your sure. You, you can't take the uh, the compliment. But anyhow, that's one of the reasons why we love you so much is your humility. But so in order to believe it or not, to encourage scoring, the NHL, exactly, they uh, tried to regulate the 
equipment for goalies with pads and blockers and gloves and such, and also the jersey itself. So Mm -hmm. it translated into the forwards and defensemen as well, where the new design is much more streamlined. It's not as baggy as it was in the past. Like if you look at a uh, hockey jersey from 2016 versus 2003, it's really quite uh, drastic how less baggy the new model is so again i mean there's no sweater whatsoever technically there's no connection to sweaters at all anymore uh, ironically though that the sweaters were not as bulky as the jerseys became anyway but <laughs> right. because they were a little tighter and and snug and i guess the knit material wasn't or the wool wasn't allowed to be made too bulky mm-hmm. so uh, i guess a little bit of both, but yeah, I totally well, agree with. You. I mean, equipment has evolved to be much larger over the years too. So I guess as the equipment grew, the sweater slash jersey had to grow to accommodate it. Yes, right. So, so right. Another fascinating too to go on on a tangent a little bit is that even if you watch footage from the NFL and you look at guys from the early '90s, their big bulky shoulder pads mm-hmm. and the big goofy jerseys and then compared to what the, I mean now it's it's gone to the other extreme where these jerseys are skin tight and uh, I wouldn't be caught dead in buying an official NFL jersey I'm a huge Jets fan but I just don't have the build to wear a a, a skin form-fitting jersey that's so. a little something for the ladies <laughs> I, you can't see me. I'm wiggling my eyebrows like a hey. Yeah. It doesn't. It doesn't translate. In my case, I'm sparing the ladies. From, yeah, keep going. Keep going. Yeah, from 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 that. So uh, the NHL is just as at the forefront of of keeping with the times and such. But yeah, I agree with you 100. percent I totally get the traditionalists and Canadians referring to it as a jersey. It's an endearing quality and and something I appreciate too. Yeah, I, I'm a big traditionalist anyway. You know, Gary and I are also huge baseball fans. Sure. Nothing's more traditional than Major League Baseball. So I totally well, get it. In in recent years, they've started to deviate from some of those traditions a little bit. Yeah, but again, I, I've referenced this movie a little bit too much on a on a deck hockey podcast. But Field of Dreams, just watch that speech by James Earl Jones, and that that'll kind of fantasize. Yeah, I, I, okay, fine. I admit my my baseball love is a little too ideal and not exactly in fact. So it's more from the heart than in the mind. So I apologize for that. I don't need no stinking instant replay. Keep your oh. dirty DH far far away from my National League. Amen to that a million percent. So thank you, sir. And I, I, okay, I'm, I'm back to, to hockey. Thank okay, you all right. Yeah, yeah, good. yeah yes. But another interesting thing in this article, too, is it actually has a daughter versus her mother on the debate where the daughter actually prefers the term sweater. She's from Michigan and a huge, huge Detroit Red Wings fan. So that's kind of a curveball. You figure that the younger generation would refer to it as a jersey, but this young lady refers to it as a sweater. Meanwhile, her mother, kind of in an honest and maybe sarcastic way, said that she never heard of a sweater being used in a hockey game at all. So she was with your camp, too, that, uh, yeah, sweater is something that you wear in the winter and you store in the upper shelf when you're not using it during the warm months of the year. Well, perhaps it's uh, retro to call it a sweater you know everything old is new again yeah that's true and james it's clear that you yourself do not have a daughter because if you did you would know that that's not at all unusual they live to be contrarian 
<laughs> Duly noted. But in the same vein with the article, and speaking of the traditionalists and being devoutly Canadian, one of the people interviewed was Don Cherry, and he is he, he's of the opinion that hockey is 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 not nearly Canadian enough anymore. They, they've, they're losing their traditions and get off his lawn and blah, blah, blah. Um, but uh, obviously he is firmly in the sweater camp. But to this, I have to say, I, I really, uh, of all the people that I would ask fashion advice from, I don't think Don Cherry would be at the top of the list. So, you know, with all due respect, I'm not going to run out and, try and change my mindset just because Don Cherry doesn't like the way I'm calling a piece of clothing. Oh, man, a huge assist goes to you on that one, Mr. Rhino Mac. Uh, for the fans listening out there, thank you for listening, by the way. And we'd also love to hear what you have to think, what, what, what your opinion is on this, uh, this debate as well. If you refer to the item of clothing as a jersey or a sweater, please let us know. And of course, Gary always lets you know how you can contact us at the end of the show. But um... well, I'll let you know right now because, you know, they we're <laughs> talking about it right now. If you have a blazing hot take about what this hockey shirt is called, email us at hit the deck at gmail.com or hit us up on Twitter. You know, tweet at us, as the kids say, at hit the deck pod. And uh, we will be happy to either laud your opinion or uh, tell you how wrong you are. So getting back to Don Cherry, and again, I apologize for this really extreme roundabout way to get back to Mr. Cherry. Do yourself a favor and use Bing or another search engine. Type in Don Cherry. His Bing. name is actually like, what's that? Bing? Uh, yeah. I, I'm sorry. It's just, are, are we shilling for Microsoft now? I've never heard anybody ever recommend somebody Bing something if they weren't getting paid for it. No, I'm not getting paid at all. I actually prefer it. I've been using that search engine quite a lot lately, and You're it's kidding. better on my – yeah, to me anyway, I, I think it's more convenient on my phone and on the computer as well, especially if you're looking up video footage and such. But sure, whatever search engine you want, Bing, Google, uh, that other one, Yahoo, whatever. All right. But, you heard it here first, Bing Don Cherry. Right. <laughs> Don Cherry, his last name is spelled C-H-E-R-R-Y, and you will see for yourself what Gary is talking about with the elaborate outfits that this man has worn throughout his illustrious career. And I do mean illustrious. I mean head coach of those incredible Boston Bruins teams, and he is one of the most beloved sports commentators in Canada history, too. So he knows his stuff. He's a man's man, too. But for some reason, yeah, I, I agree with Gary 100%. His fashion sense is a bit questionable, let's just say. Yes, that's cherry like the fruit. And his wardrobe is the pits. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. Don't be. This is entertaining, man. I don't know if anybody else is liking it, but I'm having a blast. This is great. And really, that's the important thing. You should be doing a one-man stand-up show or something. I'm sorry. I'm very tired, and I'm very punchy. <laughs> All right, then. Let's move on from the sweaters or jersey debate, which will never get to the bottom of anyway. But, uh, Gary, if you wouldn't mind uh, taking us through 
your genius mask that you created and painted and and turned into your own. Sure. So this segment is um it's not going to be a true do it yourself segment. I'm not going to tell you step by step by step how to repaint uh, a mask or how to paint your own mask. I'm going to tell you about my mask, which is something that's very near and dear to me. It's something I'm very proud of, something that's very personal to me. And it's funny, my wife asked me when I engaged in this project why I was so, you know, all fired, eager to paint my own mask, something which I had no experience with and really did not have the proper facilities to do. And and I said, any goalie worth his salt has a personalized mask. And I wasn't willing to send it off to somebody to paint it for me. I wanted to do it myself because that's just the kind of guy I am. Also, I figured it would be cheaper doing it myself. I'm not sure if it actually worked out that way in the long run. I'm going to say between buying the mask itself, which was a, a fairly low-end bower. When I started off, it was just a black flat black bower mask rated for ice and roller hockey but like realistically amateur level because you know at, at some point people's shots are so hard and what have you that using something like that it's plastic it's like abs plastic it's not kevlar so using a mask uh, a lower end mask like that can actually be hazardous to your health at a certain level but the level that we play at, especially with a ball, I wasn't concerned about that. So uh, just a, a side note. So between buying the mask and, and the airbrush and the paint and all the supplies that I needed, it probably wound up, uh, I don't know, maybe a little under $300 that I, I spent on the project. So Wow, that's a, incredible. It was a little pricey for a mask, for, of, for a low-end mask, but for you know, a custom paint job, it wasn't so bad. So No, not at all. I, like I said, I, I'm not going to take you step by step by step because you can Google that or Bing that. You can you can Bing that process and you'll find tutorials um, on YouTube or, or just pictorial things and on threads. That's what I did. And the people who actually posted those steps that I followed are much more knowledgeable than myself. What I'm going to do is walk you through the process from a practicality standpoint. Maybe try and tell you this is what's involved. Maybe these are some things you can try and avoid. And, and you know, if you're not equipped necessarily to do it like I was, maybe you can get a better idea of the cheats or workarounds that you could employ or maybe you've been thinking about doing something like this and you can say you know what that sounds like a lot more work than i was expecting maybe i'll have a pro do it because one the one caveat i will put up front is that i am very happy with how my mask came out and i'll post pictures of it on instagram and uh if you're watching this on youtube as the last couple of episodes have been I will put the pictures in uh, in the YouTube clip as well so you can have a better idea of what I'm talking about. Unfortunately, I didn't take any pictures of the actual process because this project predates the Hit the Deck podcast, but you should be able to find decent pictures illustrating what you need to do step-by-step -step online. That's what I did. For just a non-visual listener, I guess, that's what we call people who aren't looking at things but hearing them, right, listeners? So for, for 
just you as a listener, I will try and be as descriptive as possible. But um, what you will see in those pictures, if you choose to look at them, is that it's not 100% professional. It does look a little sloppy in places because it was done by someone who doesn't necessarily know what he's doing and definitely does not consider himself an artist. So just bear that in mind. Um, if you want something that looks really sleek and and really professional looking, then you might want to consider using a professional. But that being said, I'm going to walk you through the process. You should be aware that any kind of modification of your mask will automatically void these certifications on the back of your mask. And uh, it's those little stickers on the back plate. And in fact, it's my understanding that some referees will not let you play even in a game if you don't have a mask with those certifications intact. Now, um, hypothetically, I, I understand, I'm given to understand that it is possible to remove those stickers with heat, uh, being very careful to do so because they are very delicate. But uh, it is hypothetically possible to remove those stickers with heat and then put them on the back of the new mask. And it is also my hypothetical understanding that should you do this, the referee will be none the wiser so long as the paint job is not incredibly sloppy. So hypothetically, that would be an option. Were you the kind of unscrupulous individual that would be inclined to such action? So... First, obviously, you need a mask, something that you are going to be okay with potentially messing up. You know, so if it's like your A mask that you really love and you already have a decent paint job on, you're hoping to, to soup up, you know, maybe give that a second thought because it's not the easiest thing in the world. It's definitely a process and it's definitely something that you could mess up and you could regret if it's something that you really, you know, use all the time. Oh, actually, that's another thing right off the top. I'm going to say if you are planning on knocking this out in a couple of days, don't because you can't unless you're doing a really, really, really basic paint job. And even then, it's it's probably going to take you at least three or four days between prep work, painting, drying. Actually, it, it's, it's going to take you at least a week. Prep work, painting, drying, and then uh, coating. So don't expect uh, – this is a mistake I made actually because I had gotten the materials for this and I had begun prep work well in advance of actually doing it. But I wanted to knock this out in time for a tournament, so I really kind of burned the midnight oil trying to get it done as quickly as I could, and it still took me a little over a week to get it done, and really just in the nick of time. But again, I'm happy with how it turned out. So the first thing that you're going to want to do is not paint the mask or even sand the mask. The first thing you're going to want to do is take apart the mask. You're going to want to take out the straps that hold it together, and you're probably going to want to take off the cage because even if you're painting that, you're probably not painting it all uniform color. And that being metal or chrome or whatever the cage is, it's a different material from the, the mask itself. So it's pretty easy to unscrew that stuff. You just have to be careful. It can be a little tricky 
to get to all the screws because you have padding on the inside of the mask. So just pictures help. If you're not positive you're going to be able to put things back together exactly the way you took them out, then definitely take some pictures for reference for when you're reassembling it later. And uh, yeah, speaking of cage, I did notice from seeing your mask in person, did you actually paint the cage? Because I really like that red color that's on it. It looks really cool. I did, and I'm going to address that a little bit later in this little segment. Oh, goody. Okay. But uh, what you're going to want to do is you take your mask and you have to sand it down. Don't use too rough grit sandpaper and don't be too aggressive with it because once you sand through the coat then if you get all the way down to the plastic and start scratching the plastic that's going to really adversely affect the finish on the final product so you have to walk kind of a fine line you have to be patient with that it's a process and it's not going to be fun just be aware of that and maybe spread it out over a a little while, maybe while you're watching TV or whatever, just sitting down to do something that you can enjoy while you do a mindless, thankless task. And if you are planning on painting your cage, you're going to need to sand that down too, because it's probably going to be chromed and coated itself the same way as the mask is coated. And you need to break through that coating and you're going to have to be, you know, talk about tedious, The mask, at least, is mostly smooth surfaces. The cage is a lot of really tight corners and welds. And if you don't get that coating off of all of it, then you're going to have spots that don't look good because the paint's not going to take to them properly. Or, I mean, if you're getting it chromed, that's something that you can do as well. You could take it to an auto body shop or, or a company that does this kind of thing. And you can get these things chromed if you have access to someplace that'll do it for you. So that's an option. But I'm just going off of my experience where I did everything myself. So once you've got the mask sanded, you're going to want to put a base coat on it. So you're starting from a blank canvas. I recommend just white a can of white spray paint that you Just give it a few coats so it all looks pretty clean. Obviously, you're going to have to give it time to dry between coats, at least dry to the touch. It doesn't have to be fully dry, but don't go too heavy with it because if you get too close and get too greedy with it, it's going to pool up and it's not going to look good. You're just going to have to wind up sanding it again and you're going to just regret the fact that you didn't take the extra time to do it right the first time. And speaking of masks, do you need a a mask to cover your face when you're dealing with uh, sanding and and spray painting? Great question. Probably. I mean, I'm not going to tell you how to live your life, but uh, you probably should have a mask when you're sanding because there's going to be a lot of fine particulate matter that gets in the air and that stuff is going to be nasty to inhale. So wear a mask or you're probably going to be blowing your nose a lot and you're not going to like what you see. As far as the painting goes, I mean, I assume most, if not all the people listening to this podcast who might be doing this have painted something in their lives and you should know that you should do it in a well-ventilated area. And if you have a mask, use it. You know, painter's masks are pretty cheap. You can get a pack of them at Home Depot for, like, pocket change. So, yeah, you definitely don't want to be inhaling too many of those fumes because that can be problematic. 
Now, I live on the second floor of like a, a co-op complex series of connected apartments. And I don't have a backyard. I don't have a garage. I don't really have anywhere to paint. So what I decided to do when it was time to start painting was I rigged up my own little paint booth at the bottom of the stairs in the entryway next to my door. I took garbage bags and sheets of plastic and I taped them up around to kind of seal off the area so any paint in the air or any stray spraying of the paint wouldn't damage my walls or or mar anything. So if that's something that you feel like you can do, cordon off an area of your home if you don't have a place that you can set up for a few days, then... You know, it's something that I was willing to do because I, like I said, I wanted to get this done quickly and I didn't have a space to do it, a dedicated space. But be aware that your life is going to be so much easier if you can set up kind of a dedicated paint booth or paint room or something where you can just let the mask sit and dry and go in and keep working on it over the course of like a week or so. Because what I had to do, I had to keep putting up and taking down a lot of the plastic and moving the mask and breaking down my workspace when I was done because it was also the entrance to my house. And that gets tedious after a while. Um, Yeah, so once it's taken apart, once you've sanded it, once you've primed it, which is what you're doing when you lay down the base coat so it's uniform, what you should have done or what you will want to do now if you haven't already – Know what you're going to put on the mask and, you know, have a good idea of the art. So I picked as the defining feature of my mask, being the American Rhino, I have a uh, – and and being a fan of Mike Richter, whose masks with the New York Rangers featured prominently the Statue of Liberty in uh, dark blue and red, red, white, and blue being the Rangers' colors – on the front of the mask, I have a similarly shaded rhino on my mask charging out of a field of stars and stripes for the American flag. So what I did with that is I I took a long time figuring out exactly what the design of the mask should be, and you should do that as well because it's going to be your baby. You're going to put a lot of work into it. You want it to turn out the best, so you're going to want to know what you're doing before you set out to do it. It's also, you're going to want to know what you're doing so you know what paint to buy and what other things you need before you start. So, yeah, so I basically, I taped out the mask in layers, working pretty much from light to dark. You you tape out, for instance, with mine, uh, I have a lot of white and blue, and I had already painted it white because I primed it. So I kept that white, and I taped out those sections, and then I I painted over the non-tape sections in blue. And so when I take the tape off, I have white and blue in a pattern that I choose. And I did the same thing for the rest of the things that I painted. And I think it came out reasonably well some of the paint even though i I did my best to tape it down some of the paint bled through where the tape was so i had to go back and touch up some areas with the paintbrush so that's going to detract from the sharpness of the lines and you know it can be tedious another thing that i tried that didn't work so i'm not going to recommend you do it but 
learn from my mistake. I tried to get cute and I thought it would be cool if I painted like glow in the dark paint over over some of the white sections to make it really pop when it was dark. Not that I generally play hockey in the dark, but you know, I just I I, I thought it would be cool. It didn't work because I couldn't airbrush that. I had to apply it by hand and with a with a paintbrush and it got really gloppy and I wound up having to get rid of a lot of it and painting over it in sections and it just it doesn't look spectacular up close and if I hadn't tried to be again cute I guess I wouldn't have fallen prey to that time sink and uh, it probably would look a lot cleaner than it does now but live and learn regarding the paint so what I did for this mask is I kind of learned to airbrush. I got a, a small, relatively cheap airbrushing kit, and I watched some tutorials on YouTube, and I tried my hand at airbrushing. It's actually surprisingly easy. The big things you have to understand when you're airbrushing for the first time, you have to clean it out immediately after you use it because you don't want that paint to get gunked up inside of it. So you're going to want water. You can clean it out with soap and water. It's not like super hard to do. And you don't want to get too close to the mask, even especially if you're doing a, a wide area. You want to try and, and brush from a little further out because I think, again, this is one of the problems I ran into. If you do try and get too greedy and paint it all at once too quickly instead of going over lightly in several layers then the paint will tend to pool it'll get under that tape and you will have to go back and touch it up and it won't look as good as you want it to look use acrylic paint not enamel i learned that the hard way enamel will stick and will gunk up your airbrush and it'll be a problem Use acrylic. You can water it down. You can work with it really easily. And it comes in any number of colors. So that's a, a pro tip from me to you. Also, if you have something that you really like, um, a very specific graphic that requires a lot of different colors and you don't know if you'll be able to reproduce it, it it's very like fine and you don't think you'll be able to paint it freehand or uh, or tape it out. What I did is I got some vinyl decals printed up. I got those graphics that I want for, in my case, I have on one side of the mask is the symbol for the United Federation of Planets from Star Trek. And actually, I have another one that I wound up not using. <laughs> it was the Greendale logo from Community, the, the TV show Community, the logo for the school, Greendale Community College. And on the back of my mask, I have some Zelda things, the Master Sword, Triforce, and a kind of Eagle logo. If you're a fan of Zelda, you'll know more or less what I'm talking about, The Legend of Zelda. But uh... So yeah, those were things that I could have tried to freehand, but the detail work, I decided it was a lot quicker and would look a lot better to have them printed up. And it wasn't that expensive. Just know that that's something else you're going to need to account for in the preparation process because these orders do sometimes take some time. So really, when you're painting, like I said, give things time to dry. Go in. You're going to have to do it in layers. 
You're going to have to be patient. If you're airbrushing, you're going to have to kind of get a feel for pressing the trigger because the harder you press the trigger, the more air shoots out and the more paint shoots out in a concentrated area. If you're doing it very light, you can get kind of um, just a little bit of paint. You can also water it down. You're going to have to do trial and error to get the effects you're really looking for, the uh, the results you're really looking for. So like I said, this isn't going to be a step-by-step-by-step step step tutorial for everything, but I want to hit the high points for what's involved in painting a mask for yourself. One thing I was able to accomplish that I'm really proud of the way it came out, and this was a lot of kind of thinning down and and being very gentle with the airflow on the airbrush, is the Undertaker logo. I've talked about the Undertaker on the podcast before. He's my favorite wrestler. He's kind of an inspiration to me. And uh, I definitely wanted him on my mask. He's on my bandana that I wear under the mask for every game. So I wanted him on the front of the mask. And I'm really happy with the logo. It's kind of a, if you're not familiar with The Undertaker, it's kind of a T with, let's say, nails crossed uh, across the bottom. And like, um, there's kind of a wispy purple fog around it. And so I just taped off the T and I, I did a lot of very thin, different layers, a couple of different colors with that. And I was able to really achieve a very cool look with that. So you will probably surprise yourself if you do try to paint your own mask and, you know, try different things. And I'm not going to say it's going to be perfect and everything you're going to try is going to work out exactly the way you want it to. But you're probably going to surprise yourself with how cool you can actually make it, even if you're not an artist. And I am by no means an artist. I can barely draw a stick figure. James, you had asked about painting the cage. Like I said, you want to sand it down, make sure it's uh, nice and kind of rough. And what I used is, like I said, you can get it chromed. But what I used for the red color is there's a couple of there's products I guess they're probably more intended for automotive purposes, but what I used is like um, candy, which is, well, there's a few layers. There's an undercoat, then there's a candy, which is kind of a semi, uh, it's not, it's not like a, a layer per se. It's like metallic. It's something that shines through kind of uh the your your final layer and then the final layer is a translucent thing that goes over top of it so it it looks the light catches it it's a little sparkly it's got some texture to it i think it, it came out really cool but again you're gonna need to do multiple layers and you're going to need to give it time to dry one thing that i ran into in a paint booth, they like hang it from something by a, a string so it can dry all around. I didn't have access to that, so I had to kind of put it down. And the bottom of my cage has like the paint came off because it's stuck to the cardboard that I was sitting it on. So just be aware that when you're painting, that could be an issue. And yeah, so the final step, and this is really something that I want you to listen to because it's really important is clear coating it. You're going to want to clear coat your mask because if you don't, the paint job that you work so hard on is going to get scratched and dinged and peeled off the second a puck hits it. 
I used a like a an aerosol, like a spray clear coat. But the thing with clear coat is if you're using a good one that's going to last and you're doing it yourself, you need to be very, very careful. You should strongly consider taking it somewhere where they will clear coat it for you. If you want to do it yourself, make sure you have like a respirator and make sure you're in a very well ventilated area because the clear coat fumes can be toxic. They they are toxic. If you inhale them, they will damage your lungs. And obviously, as a human being, you don't want your lungs to be damaged. But as a goalie, you need your wind. You know, you need that you need your lungs to be functioning at top capacity. You don't want to not be able to breathe because that will adversely affect your game, needless to say. I did something kind of stupid and a little reckless, but I don't have a respirator. So uh, what I did when I was clear coating my mask, I did it outside and I had a paint mask on. (laughs) What I would do is I would take very deep breaths and kind of run over, hold my breath and spray out the mask and then run away from it upwind (laughs) and uh, breathe, which... I still got a little bit of it, but I I really, it was not, I don't think it was enough that it really damaged me at all. But I hope not. But even like standing 20 feet away in a breeze, I could still get some of those fumes. And I I definitely was feeling a little lightheaded and and I could feel it in my lungs. So again, be very careful. And it's going to take a few days to dry properly. So you're going to need to leave it in a well-ventilated area that nobody's going to be going in and breathing those fumes. So yeah, be careful. I, I can't stress that enough. The most important thing is that you are careful when you're clear coating it. If you mess up the paint job, it's just going to look bad. If you do something where you hurt yourself clear coating it, you know, that that's something that's going to stay with you for the rest of your life. So seriously, don't screw around. One final tip with the clear coating is something that I learned by experience. If depending on how you are spraying it when you're clear coating it, it might pool up in some places. You know, you might get a little more pooling on the mask and it's going to look like it's going to be a problem when it hardens. So what I mistakenly did is I tried to kind of um, sponge up a little bit of the excess in one place, but I could tell immediately that that wasn't working out the way I wanted to. And the, the other areas where it pooled up, gravity kind of separated it out into an even layer with time as it was drying. So my tip to you is if you don't want divots in your mask, it's going to be okay. Just resist the urge to try and clean it up. Then once it's all dry, coated, you put it back together and you have yourself a pretty sweet mask and you've done something that you did not know you could do. And even if it doesn't look perfect, you feel pretty darn good about yourself. All right. Thank you, sir. And yeah, the proof is in the pudding, too. When you see what Gary is talking about, he really did an excellent job. And I love the mask. I think it looks awesome. I love all the details and the blood, sweat and tears that went into it. I did not know all that you had to go through with the clear coat and such. That's that's news to me. So I'm glad you took precautions and thank you for uh, 
taking care of yourself and of course your family too. So Yeah, sorry to fun. be a little long-winded with the process, but I wanted to try and be as thorough as I could with explaining what is involved in this so you know what you're getting yourself into if you want to set out for this kind of endeavor. Or, hey, man, if you want to make a few bucks, uh, send your mask to Gary and uh, pay him for it, and he'll take care of it for you. But anyway. That's not true. I won't do that. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But uh, <laughs> thank you, sir. So just to sum up the uh, the night, again, when you guys hear this podcast, the date will have passed. But I just want to wish my brother a happy belated birthday. As Gary always so graciously acknowledges at the close of every Hit the Deck, my brother wrote, performed, and recorded, and donated the music you hear under every on-deck sequence, so the Sajazi brothers are together, thanks to Mr. Rhino Mac. Yes. I appreciate that very much. And uh, again, my brother is the very first person to introduce me to the world of hockey and deck hockey in particular, as a matter of fact. He played deck when he was a boy and always allowed me to tag along. And the American Rhino actually jogged my memory on that, so I appreciate that too, Gary. Thank you. Donata. And yeah, and the last thing, as we mentioned in past Hit the Decks, one of my brother's friends actually gave me my very first hockey stick as a birthday gift. It was an early birthday. I think I originally said it was around my 10th. I think it was earlier than that, actually. It definitely was earlier than that. And uh, just it was a red Titan Gretzky model, just to give you an idea of how old it was and how old I am. So uh, happy birthday, bro. Many, many more. Love you. And uh, thanks for everything. Happy birthday, bro. On behalf of, of myself as well, I join in the sentiment. Last minute remaining in the podcast. Thanks, Pops. So, uh, again, happy birthday, Anthony. Thank you for all of your contributions to the Hit the Deck podcast. Thank you, Pops, for being the voice of the podcast. Thank you, you, you. Yes, I'm talking to you. Thank you for listening to the podcast and being a supporter of Hit the Deck. If it wasn't for you, we wouldn't be here, and we appreciate you listening and taking the time to listen to what we think is entertaining. Uh, your mileage may vary. Please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher or any number of other places where podcasts are distributed. Please contact us at hitthedeck at gmail.com. Hit us up at hitthedeckpod on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We are at Hit the Deck, and our YouTube channel is Hit the Deck. And, hey, if you have any questions about the mask that you want to ask me, contact us. I'd be happy to give you the benefit of my experience, limited as it may be. Or, again, anything else you want to talk to us about, you know, we're easy. Who have I forgotten to thank? I've forgotten to thank the LIQ for the use of sound effects, which they helped us to record for the purposes of this podcast. James, what am I forgetting here? Absolutely nothing. If you did, then it got past me, too, so that's uh, on the defense. But, uh... Thanks for everything, sir. I appreciate it. And uh, for a man who is tired, you really gutted this one out. So another prime example of what a true deck hockey animal you are, and you deserve that American Rhino name. So thank you, sir. Well done. Thank you, James. And, you know, just to give our listeners a, a quick little scouting report for the next episode, come on back. We've got some more insights on the nuts and bolts of playing the game of hockey. If you enjoyed our segments with Brad, I think you're going to enjoy this one, too. So that'll be episode 24. So there's your sneak preview. And finally, finally, as always, please remember... It's deck hockey. Don't be that guy. Thanks, everybody. Although our, some of our listeners might prefer dead <laughs> silence, it makes it difficult to record a podcast.